listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent and community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. The public might not realize it, but things don't happen without the reasons that they happen. Let's talk macroeconomics for a second. So uh, big news coming out of USA Today when CVS has um, has a revolt of their pharmacist out of Kansas City. And now it's all over the news. We know that there's going to be more strikes. Uh, Missouri stepping up, Ohio State stepping up. We hear about things percolating in Texas, the state of Texas with strikes, strikes out of Walgreens, out of CVS. Um, Pharmacists need things to change, and they're not changing by the efforts of the uh, giants that that are um, dealing with these issues and staffing issues. And this isn't a bad, this isn't, we're not saying, hey, you guys are the bad guys, we're the good guys, that's not it. We don't want it to be that way. We want it to be fixed for the, for the sake of patient safety and pharmacist safety. But why is all of this happening? You have to back up and you have to be informed, the listeners of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PBM Reform Podcast. This is all about PBM reform and how payment of medications and drugs is literally impacting safety based on the trickle-down effect of staffing issues. One of the people that I so much respect in this industry of telling things from a data-driven perspective is Antonio Chacha. It's so good to have you back, Antonio. Um, You're becoming a regular now, and we rely on you. Great to be with you, Todd. Thanks for what you do. Absolutely. We had uh, uh, Dr. Candace Alusha on. We had Dr. Anise uh, Webster on just on this week in uh, pharmacy on Friday. And they were talking about the impact of how PBMs, and once again, are impacting patient safety and patient health, as well as our pharmacists and technician safety and health. I want to get your perspective on the strikes and, and understanding that you've seen it percolating for years and so this bubble up over an explosion we know is not just out of anywhere it's it's purposeful and it's meaningful so um your take on this antonio yeah so you know while i'm a a data nerd today you know for those that don't know i did about 10 years at the ohio pharmacist association starting back in 2010 and before that um i wanted to be a pharmacist i worked at a regional grocer and uh, as a pharmacy technician for about three years and started at Ohio State to become a pharmacist like my dad. Um, One of a few reasons that I left the pharmacy program was because I did not have a very optimistic view of where the practice of pharmacy was going. Now, to date myself, I entered the pharmacy program in 2001, which was right when in Ohio, pharmacists actually got immunization authority, and that was just for flu. So really from a scope of practice perspective, pharmacy was really just 
getting its sea legs when it comes to progressing beyond what we could just call conventional perceptions of what pharmacy practice is. And even at that time, I I had friends that were working at other pharmacies that had, um, I remember they had the red light, green light um, on the computer screen that say, hey, patient has been waiting for a certain amount of time and all of a sudden, red light, red light, red light. And, um, you know, I could you could already see at that beginning time where metrics started creeping in, right? And be clear, let's let's be reasonable here. From a patient perspective, you don't want to wait too long. And so one could argue that it's just good customer service to ensure that you're getting things out in an expeditious way and being mindful of the patient waiting uh, on the other end of that counter. But there's a there's a gray line that exists between being doing good by the customer and then over metricing your pharmacy to the point where you're compromising the professional charge of the clinician who is supposed to be running the show. And certainly fast forward the tape during my time at the Pharmacist Association, there was a good deal of complaints about what we could call just a gradual erosion or a lowering of the bar in terms of how pharmacies were staffed, how pharmacists and technicians were treated, it is by no means relegated to just chain pharmacy or hospital pharmacy or independent pharmacy. It's really a larger issue that goes back to incentives. And so I know this is the PBM Reform podcast, and you know this is really the intersection of where the money for pharmaceuticals and the money for pharmacy practice overlap with the professional charge of that pharmacist. And things have really been snowballing. I mean, in Kansas, obviously, we're seeing we're seeing walkouts across the country. We're seeing boards of pharmacy taking more aggressive stances than they have than they have in the past. Where is the right place to land? I don't have a great. I, I'm not. I'm not an expert there. But what I do know is that um, we've seen a degradation uh, occurring over the last few years. And a lot of that is enabled by a lack of oversight and accountability combined with poor incentives and an erosion of the financial resources necessary to engage in safe, quality pharmacy practice. Absolutely. We uh, talked initially before having you on, before the strikes uh, percolated about three or four weeks ago, about an article that came out that stated why Blue Shield of California is shaking up its prescription drug model. And this is not the first. I could think of Arkansas doing it uh, first and making national news, but this is not going to be one of the few. This is actually going to become part of the majority of our states that are going to start looking at their uh, Medicaid and Medicare systems to see how much of those tax dollars are being gobbled up in the form of um, of incentive and of profit instead of uh, being placed as where it should be. Kind of a Tell of our if if our listeners didn't realize uh, what does this mean for the state of um, of California, and then better what is this going to show the nation as well as some of our um, policy um, developers and our politicians, and then also let's talk a little bit about how Mark the Mark Cuban effect of cost plus drugs too. Yeah, I think regardless of what we're looking of, of where we're looking in pharmacy. You have a compelling exigency for change. We need to change the way that we pay for medicines. We need to change the way that we incentivize pharmacies. We need to change the way that we incentivize incentivize the pharmacists that are residing and practicing in those pharmacies. 
we need to change the way that we price medicines all together. And so the, the, the hard part for pharmacists is that pharmacists are sandwiched underneath the cost of the drug. We, we, if you look at PBM contracts, very little dollars are actually invested in dispensing fees. Dispensing fees were meant to cover the overhead necessary to safely dispense those medicines. So we know from Medicaid cost of dispensing surveys, that it costs about $10 on average, give or take, for a pharmacy to break even when it comes to the underlying cost of, of doing business. And so if dispensing fees are 50 cents or a dollar, clearly within the contracts that PBMs are stating, we don't place much value in what the pharmacist is actually doing. Yep. Conversely, what they're stating, again, by definition within these contracts, is pharmacies, since we're not gonna pay you for your service, we want you to arbitrage the cost of the drug. We want you to make a lot of your money by essentially manipulating or, or getting paid through the underlying cost of that medicine. And so because pharmacist compensation has been now buried within an overinflated and dysfunctional drug price, any sort of compression that occurs on the pharmacy channel ultimately is going to crush the pharmacist service as well. And so you have this system where drug prices are used to fund all these different things, including the pharmacist time and the incentives that ultimately guide what they do. And now you have Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company and other independent pharmacies that are operating in a cash environment yep. that are saying, no longer are we going to just cook everything in the sauce. We're going to have a known transparent cost for that drug. And we're going to have a known transparent markup on top of that and start realigning those incentives such that drug pricing and thus pharmacy compensation and reimbursements have less to do with ambiguity and are more straightforward and hopefully more efficient. Yes, it's so funny to watch what happens when something within an economy, within an ecosystem is manipulated and impacts the throughput. And to me, the ultimate throughput is the patient care. And between the payment model and patient care, there's all of these things happening that the public is not aware of. Um, you know, drug manufacturing, uh, drug distribution, safety protocols, DSCSA, um, you know, the 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 education of the medication to the patient, the drug-drug interactions, the safety, the throughput, rinse and repeat, go over and over again. And when that when that support, that $10 per prescription, for your example, Antonio, disintegrates to hardly anything or negative, there are prescriptions that have been put out by independent community pharmacies and pharmacies throughout the nation that um, that have been for negative to to even do business. Uh, Rite Aid, ha we we made an announcement on the day of the initial rumor that they were going to file bankruptcy, and now of course it's no longer um, a rumor. In an understanding of how that's going to impact, think of Antonio. How many communities throughout the United States have a Rite Aid where that is their that is the community source of healthcare needs. That is their, you know, topicals, that is their OTCs, that is their prescription, um, you know, primary 
causing more pressure on the ecosystem of healthcare, pharmacy care, pharmacy deserts. So this is going to get worse for our nation before it gets better. And you sent me something just this morning when we were recording, which is a news article that came out of the Ohio Capital Journal, which does an absolute phenomenal job at, at covering what's happening in PBM reform. And they do an amazing job at covering it. But the title of this, the, the opening was Ohio Regulators Propose Pharmacy Rules That Draw Mixed Response. New Regulations Mean to Promote Safety at Understaffed Stores. This is exactly what's happening in Kansas City and the reason for the walkout. There will be more walkouts this month celebrating national, I don't know if it's a celebration, <laughs> celebration of National Pharmacist Month. And the celebration is the charge of change. And it's the, the rising of our pharmacists to come together and say enough is enough and it's time for change. So talk with our listeners about um, this article that you found for us. Yeah, so you know, obviously there's a, there's been Ohio specifically, I think it's been well documented. We've had our share of challenges when it comes to the pharmaceutical ecosystem, if you will. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had back in 2016, you had CVS Caremark and OptumRx uh, that really had started going uh, hard in their spread pricing models, where for those unfamiliar, a PBM pays a pharmacy a low rate they bill a high rate and they pocket the difference. Well, eventually the state investigated those practices and found that in our Medicaid managed care program, those PBMs were taking about $240 million out of the middle of the transaction, dollars that were appropriated in order to actually go for pharmacy and pharmacy services to Medicaid beneficiaries. And so while that was occurring though, you could argue, I'm not gonna say what pharmacy should be paid or shouldn't be paid, but at the end of the day, the state was investing a lot of taxpayer dollars in actual pharmacy services and not necessarily getting them. While that was occurring, the same company, CVS Caremark, who was engaged in the underpaying of pharmaceuticals to those, to those pharmacies, they were sending out letters to those pharmacies saying, hey, we know times are tough. Why don't you sell your pharmacy to us? And so for those who don't, don't, don't know the pharmacy marketplace very well, Usually when a chain pharmacy is buying a smaller independent pharmacy, they're not just pulling down the sign and then throwing up a new one. What they're doing is they are shutting down that pharmacy, buying the patient files and transferring them over to a nearby location where that chain already has a presence. As the Ohio Capital Journal has documented and the Ohio Board of Pharmacy has documented is that many times when those file buys were occurring, the new, the, the new pharmacy that all those prescriptions were being transferred to, they were not adequately staffing up to accommodate for the influx of all those patients in their prescriptions. And so it begs a question as to whether or not there are adequate guardrails and standards in place in states like Ohio and across the country to say, hey, when these things occur, understanding that there is a business of pharmacy what standards do we have in place to ensure that it's not a race to the bottom, that you're not just buying patients and buying their prescriptions and giving them inadequate service when these transfers and buyouts occur? Yep. The, the article states that the pharmacy board, that's the Ohio uh, State Board, 
The pharmacy board cited the dozen or so of CVS stores with hundreds of violations, each of which carries possible penalties ranging from small fees to license suspensions. And as those await a junction, the board proposed a set of rules aimed at keeping such problems due to understaffing from reoccurring. And uh, just as an example, a prohibition of the use of quotas in provision of ancillary services in an outpatient pharmacy, which I think of flu shots and uh, COVID vaccines. And then, of course, in a rule giving pharmacists greater authority to suspend non-core services if they believe they're getting in the way of prompt, safe delivery of medications. Bravo, because the pharmacist, the pick, should be able to determine how heavy um, the 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 workload is based on the staff that they have. And then importantly, the rules would express prohibit retaliation against workers who follow the new guidelines. Once again, bravo. You don't have a district manager from Walgreens or CVS starting to bark and snap at their pick because metrics aren't being fulfilled when that pick knows that their specific store is under so much pressure that they're not able to make sure that the safety of the public is is put forth um, beyond anything else and giving the power back to that pharmacist and understanding exactly what is necessary. Antonio, I do not want CVS and Walgreens to fail. All right. I didn't want Rite Aid to fail. I wanted them. I like Rite Aid. They're actually from, from Pennsylvania. They're headquarters out in Harrisburg. I don't want them to fail. I want them to do what is right for their public and, and for supporting a pharmacist and for supporting for our for our technicians. But they have to make some major, major, major changes and philosophy changes to their entire operation. And I'm I'm a glass half full kind of person, and I'm accused of being sometimes too positive. But even me at this point is saying this is going to take a downright fight state to state to state to rip um, this from the, the clutches of these big, huge, uh, publicly traded organizations that don't want to let go of what's taking place in the form of profit versus patient care. And and that's that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we look, we're we're in the United States of America. We have a capitalist system. And so we understand that, you know, our our profit-oriented model incentivizes, you know, the getting of more profit, right? And that isn't inherently bad, but what it does is it, it I think it's, it, it is a understanding that and acknowledging that is, is I think, I think important, right? We're dealing with a system where publicly traded companies, their fiduciary obligation is to make more money this quarter than they made last quarter. And their obligation for the following quarter will be to build upon that previous success. In some instances, that can be a very healthy thing. Uh, in others, it can create a culture of, of, again, degradation of standards. You can make more money by doing things more efficiently. Sometimes those efficiencies can be very beneficial and cut a lot of waste out of a system. In other instances, it can essentially compromise the underlying quality of, of what's actually being sold. Um, to a to a customer, and so understand that these problems are not exclusive to chain pharmacies or publicly traded companies either. I will tell you, I have seen some really really horrendous chain pharmacies in my day, but I have also seen some horrendous independent pharmacies as well, and some horrendous hospital pharmacies as well. 
There are some pharmacies I've seen that yes, are pharmacies, but living in the back of a liquor store and they don't really do much except sell you, uh, you know, a very limited curated offering of medicines, right? Let's just be, let's, let's call it as we see it. All pharmacies have the potential to be great and all pharmacies have the potential to be not so great. What ultimately will govern their standard of care will be the incentives that ultimately drive their behavior. And so we must acknowledge and just, I think boards of pharmacy would be would be right to essentially engage in what would be healthy pessimism with yeah. the business of pharmacy and the business of pharmaceuticals more broadly, and then build your standards from there. You don't want to overregulate to the point where you create, where you crowd out upstarts. You right. don't want to overregulate to the point where you're not actually giving the pharmacist their clinical ability and autonomy to engage in the pharmacy practice they deem fit. But on the other end, when you see examples where a CVS pharmacy is alleged to have been a month behind on filling prescriptions, let's go on, let's go out on a limb here and say that's totally inadequate. And so boards of pharmacy exist to hopefully provide that balancing act such that again, the race to the bottom doesn't end up compromising the well-being and quality of say pharmacy practice that extrapolates and has a negative impact on the patient themselves. I'd like to quote David Burke, who is the executive director of the Ohio uh, Pharmacy Association. And he's quoted saying, we will be working very closely with the Board of Pharmacy because what's happening here is a degradation of the practice of pharmacy. He says, that's where I get disturbed. These aren't just incidences happening in retail setting, just like you said. They are a degradation of the profession that I love. And, you know, it's it's amazing that he's picked up the baton from Ernie Boyd, who did an amazing job running the association. Now David is charged with running the association. It's these associations, all of our state associations, that have to assure the safety of their pharmacists, to, to assure the safety of the patient and how that's going to impact. And I know you have a great relationship with the Ohio State Pharmacy Association, you've done work with them in the past, and they've really been a leader on a national level. Uh, Antonio, we're we're very proud of what they've done. Ohio has been tip of the spear on a lot of things that have happened in this profession over the last uh, five six years, and I it's I think a lot of these issues that it started with PBMs, arguably, you know, we're starting to see the fallout of that, right? And I, I again, I go back to beating the drum on the issues with incentives. I think that um, we have a great opportunity right now with massive public scrutiny around how the pharmacy payment model, and obviously by extension, how PBMs operate, how the system operates relative to how we want it to operate. And ultimately we have a great opportunity to start changing the landscape such that we can start rewarding pharmacies who do better, not just by saying, hey, did you auto refill a medicine and we'll pay you more, right? Or not just you know in the current environment where PBMs subjectively overpay for some medicines, subjectively underpay for others, and just so happen to dispense a lot of the drugs that they choose to overpay for, right? The incentives that PBMs are creating in the current environment do not actually record, um, reward what I would call good quality, good quality pharmacy practice. Instead, the incentives still are concentrated and rewarding arbitrage and creating favoritism for affiliated pharmacies 
those things need to go away. We need to move to a transparent system where the cost of the medicine is known, the markup that the pharmacy takes is known. And once you build that foundation, now you can start concentrating incentives on top of that. Do we want to reward pharmacies who go in above and beyond? Can, can Medicaid programs essentially add payments to pharmacies that staffed a, a certain amount? Yep. Do they want to pay more for pharmacies that offer certain consultative services? Certain? Do they want to reward pharmacies that have clinics within their pharmacies? Far be it for me to say what those things need to be, but you cannot realign incentives in a purposeful manner if the underlying foundation that they are built upon is essentially a malleable uh, bucket of quicksand, right? Where you have massive underpayments, massive over overpayments, and a system that is essentially more like a casino than an objective pricing uh, you know, uh, model. So what makes me, again, optimistic about some of these new innovators in this marketplace is a shift away from arbitrary pricing and a shift towards objective pricing with known incentives that ultimately reward or punish behavior in the marketplace. Yep. All right, listeners, if you are headed to the NCPA, the National Community Pharmacists Association, please engage with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We will be at the Real Value RX booth or we'll be at the IPC RX booth, um, the um, independent pharmacy cooperative. Those are two very strong organizations supporting our community pharmacies throughout the nation. If you are headed to the leading association for senior care, empowering pharmacists, uh, transforming aging, the ASCP, the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, that's on October 26th through 29th. Antonio Chacha with Three Access Advisors will be there and you will be talking about a um, a special uh, forum. Give our listeners a little preview of what you'll be um, what you'll be attacking at the 2023 ASCP. We'll be talking a lot about what what we what we've been discussing today, which is liberating pharmacists from dysfunctional drug prices. We have a highly dysfunctional drug pricing system that has been that it's it's uh, it's subjective nature has lent itself well to predatory pricing behavior and waste. And as long as pharmacists are primarily compensated underneath the prices of those dysfunctional drugs, the dysfunctional prices of those drugs, then we should expect similar outcomes that we have today. And so what we're talking about is the problems in the current environment and what a pathway out of the darkness can look like. We're very proud to always feature you um, on uh, the podcast and PBM Reform uh, podcast specifically. Um, the insights that you provide to us, Antonio, are are very valuable. I want our listeners to take a look. If you ever want to reach out to this team, uh, please go to the number 3accessadvisors.com. Once again, that's 3accessadvisors.com. Uh, Tony, um, Antonio and his team uh, do a tremendous amount of work for the reform of of how things are being paid. And you've always been a straight shooter and, and brought us the information, very timely information, Antonio, and we're very proud to um, feature you as much as we can. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be with you and happy to talk about nerdy drug pricing <laughs> insights uh, with your listeners 
Uh, the thing I've learned over the years, Todd, is the more mysterious drug pricing becomes, the more bad behavior it enables. And so what we have always strived to do is demystify and simplify drug pricing, not just for the benefit of, of the pharmacists that are engaging in the practice, but for the patients and the payers for those medicines as well. We appreciate you, Antonio, and thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, pharmacists, for who are listening right now that you're struggling, you're stressed out. If there's anything that our organization can do in doing more coverage of something, if you have some story to tell to help amplify and support the movement and the change of our profession, please reach out to us. We can put you in touch with pizzas not working. Um, would you like shots with that? Put you in touch with three access advisors or some of the national associations and whatever we can do. Once again, thank you for everything that you do. And, and it's Pharmacist Month. So happy National Pharmacist Month. We'd like to celebrate you, the pharmacist, for what you do for our community. Antonio, we will talk with you next time. And thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Todd. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.